0: Welcome back to the Tech Leaders Talk podcast, where experts and leaders discuss the industry and hard earned career wisdom with your host, Barry Newkirk. Today's guest is James Brown. James is the founder and consulting principal at Solid Cyber Advisory and Solution Services, LLC, delivering cyber success to organizations of all sizes in public and private sectors. Before that, James was the Chief Information Security Officer, or CISO, for the state of South Carolina where he led cybersecurity, cyber technology services, risk management, and multidisciplinary response coordination. James also served as agency CISO for the South Carolina Department of Health and Human Services. He served as committee chair on the statewide Cloud Technology Security and Architecture Review Board. But it was James's time as a soldier in the Army, through numerous stateside and overseas assignments, which developed his steadfast dedication to mission success through leadership, accountability, and continuous team development. James is a graduate of Limestone University with a Bachelor of Science degree in Computer and Information Systems Security, and holds the Certified Information Systems Security Professional Credential.
1: We are very pleased to uh, welcome uh, good friend, collaborator, colleague, uh, James Brown to the Tech Leaders Talk podcast today. Um, I know this is going to be an exciting conversation and James is an amazing communicator and has had quite the run. So, James Brown, welcome to the Tech Leaders Talk podcast.
2: Thank you, Barry. Glad to be here Uh, and such. I I hope I live up uh, to that intro, particularly the... uh, uh, the communicator piece uh, and such, because if you ask my wife, that's definitely not the case.
1: Well, I mean, I just read the introduction just as you wrote it for me. So I hope that was correct.
2: <laughs> uh, checks in the mail.
1: That's right. That's right.
2: Just don't don't cash it till uh,
1: first of next month. Though. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I've uh, been working <laughs> I, with you for a long time. So I know about that. Um. So, James, we're just going to jump in and, and uh, kind of before we do, You know, our listeners are typically uh, junior to mid-level technology professionals. Uh, We are trying to help folks like yourself around the country tell their story uh, in a creative and transparent way so that uh, those folks new in their career, mid-level in their career, can see themselves in your trajectory so uh, we're just here to have a conversation so let's start at the beginning how'd you grow up where'd you grow up uh, tell us about your family life early education just kind of give us a picture of james uh, in the early years
2: you know honestly I, I i grew up in that really fantastic middle um uh, generation what what do they call it? the gen xennial uh in such which is i guess a micro generation uh, born between 77 and 81 I was born in 1979. So I hit the sweet spot, uh, right there. Uh, I was born in the Philippines, uh, to, uh, a, an air force, um, uh, parent. My dad, uh, was in the air force for, oh gosh, 20, uh, 22 years. I think it was, uh, and, um, my mother was uh, Thai, and, um, I spent a little bit of time overseas uh, traveling with them, but I I was very young uh, at the time. Um, My dad was very close to retirement. He retired in 86, I believe it was. Mm. And uh, we settled in Tampa, Florida. So for all intents and purposes, Tampa, Florida, go Bucks (laughs) is my home.
1: So my my father grew up in Tampa. What part of Tampa did you guys live in?
2: So uh, South Tampa uh, right, uh, outside of McDill air force base. Cause, uh, you know, my dad being in the air force for 22 years, uh, he had to have access, uh, to a commissary, to a BX and a class six. All right. You got those things and you are a veteran that's ready to go.
1: <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. That's hilarious. I, uh, <laughs> uh I, I spent a lot of time in Florida over the years and Tampa is my favorite, uh, Big city in Florida, for sure. Not, not even close. I, uh, I still have a family that lives a little bit north of Tampa in Zephyr Hills. And my dad grew up in Ybor city, um, back in the day, as they say. Ooh. Um, so yeah, a lot of colorful stories from uh, greater Tampa, as I know that, uh, you can share as well. I love it down there. Um, now the family. So were you an only child? Do you have siblings? Oh no, no, no. I've got,
2: um, I, I was middle child. Oh, middle child, middle child syndrome, if you will. Uh, I've got an older sister and a uh, younger brother. Okay. Um, uh, typical older sister, um, somewhat over overbearing uh, and such. But here's the thing: if it wasn't for her, uh, I wouldn't see my family as much as I do because she really, you know, drives the point home about us the, needing to stay in touch, stay in contact, and visit each other uh, and such. And uh, me and my brother we, uh, we take the easy route. We just let her coordinate it and, uh, we show up.
1: Now that's called delegation at its finest, right? That's right. <clears throat> we'll follow the leader, whichever you want. That's right <laughs> now. Um, so, uh, you grew up basically in Tampa, um, but you went in the military as well, correct?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, I joined, uh, well, uh, growing up in Tampa had a, you know, fantastic upbringing. You know, the the, the beauty of the time I grew up and where I grew up, it was was just that sweet spot, if you ask me, I mean, playing outside, you know, having a great time, pre-social media, nothing on video uh, and such, no errant or strange recordings out on the interwebs that'll come back and haunt me someday, knock on wood. Uh, We were just some troublemaking kids having a good time. Uh, and such, and uh, you know, uh, getting our uh, our butts whooped on the way home for being out too late, and this, that, and the other. It's just just a great time, uh, and we had a great neighborhood uh, in Tampa, down in South South Tampa, very close knit, uh, as I'm sure you well know, uh, and such. Uh, the community there is just really fantastic, and um, very fortunate to uh, to grow up there. Well, fast forward a couple of years, as I you know, got later on uh, in through high school and such. um, uh, Didn't really know what to do. Uh, I was looking left, looking right, looking up, trying to figure out, you know, where the sign was telling James what he was going to do when he grows up Uh, and, uh, you know, made that fateful visit to the recruiter. All right. At at the behest of my dad, because, you know, he, he said, Hey, kid. You know, you know, go go talk to the recruiter. You know, you might uh, figure something out. You know, um, <laughs> it, it, if you hear a bit of an accent, my dad's originally from Jersey, so uh, it, it may float its way in there. But it's just me trying to imitate him. It's nothing that I I uh, 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 speak from naturally, if you will.
3: <laughs> That's funny. And
2: uh, he. Uh, Uh, You know, with with that bit of encouragement and with that conversation, uh, I went and talked to a recruiter, and uh, it it seemed uh, like a good idea. Uh, I I didn't really know what I was going to do. I I wasn't good enough in sports to uh, get a scholarship uh, anywhere meaningful, and I really wasn't that interested in college. Um, I was just interested in continuing on my teenage years, Uh, and I was told that uh, the Army lets you do that. (laughs) Uh, so he said, you're going to have some crazy times in those barracks, kids. Just be, just be careful. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Um, so I, I joined in 99 and, um, uh, the army did a lot for me. Uh, they, um, uh, they, they taught me uh, or the army, I should say taught me, you know, what it means to have accountability, responsibility, uh, uh instilled a sense of, uh, selfless service. Uh, if you will, uh, gave me some responsibility along the way. Of course I got to do some of those other things I wanted to do, you know, uh, you know, hang from the rafters and have a great time in the barracks and this, that, or the other and such like that. But, uh, it really did speed up the maturing process, which is really what I needed.
1: And how long were you in the military?
2: Uh, let's see, 99 to 06.
1: Okay. Seven years. So yeah. where were and you, uh, where were you stationed?
2: It was actually a pretty easy road. Uh, I I joined from Tampa and then I got on a bus. They drove me up to uh, Fort Benning, Georgia. Uh, And uh, that's where I did basic training, but I know it's the home of the infantry, but I was not infantry. Uh, I I was a a signal guy combo uh, and everything. And um, uh, after basic training went over to Fort Gordon, Uh, Spent about four and a half months there in Signal School, Mm -hmm. uh, learning how to, uh, you know, set up uh, basic networking, um, FM, HF communications and the like uh, and such and and get ready for uh, a uh, what may have been a career in the Army. But, you know, we'll pivot to that a little bit later. Um, After Fort Gordon, I went to Fort Hood, Texas. Mm. uh, Beautiful Colleen, Texas. (laughs) <laughs> not really. Uh, no, actually, I had a really great time uh, in, in Texas, but uh, let's just say, you know, there's there's not much to do out there. You're, you're going to drink some beer. You're going to see a lot of cows. You're going to spend a lot of time in the field. Yeah. Uh, that, that's what I did uh, at, at Fort Hood. Uh, spent two years there. From there, went to uh, Korea, oh. uh, uh, 2nd Infantry Division, uh, Camp Hovey. Mm-hmm. Had a great time uh, in Korea, Korea is such a beautiful country, wonderful country, wonderful culture. Um, uh, unfortunately, because I was in the second infantry division, didn't get a lot of to, didn't get to spend a lot of time out there. But I thought I spent a lot of time in the field at, at Fort hood, but good gosh,
3: yeah.
2: uh, in Korea, it's, it's just, uh, it's just what they do. Uh, they're, they're like, no, if you're in garrison, you're in trouble. So we're going to keep you out there training, uh, and such to keep, uh, keep the young troops, uh, you know, um, out of the uh, the brig, if you will, or, or uh, avoiding potential uh, UCMJ action. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm. I hear that. Uh,
2: really, a really a great time. Um, from there, I got deployed. Uh, my unit got deployed, actually, from Korea uh, over to uh, Iraq. Okay. Uh, so I spent a year in uh, Ramadi. Wow. And that was um, that was intense. Um, uh, I must say. Um, and uh, really something that um, caused me to grow and, and mature um, uh, at an extreme pace, uh, because everything that you train for up to that point becomes real. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you start remembering things. You start thinking about, uh, you know, the guy or the gal to your left or your right. Um, and the folks that look to you for for guidance, and they expect you to have that maturity and that wherewithal uh, to keep them focused and alive. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that year in Ramadi was was definitely fast paced, but um, a, a, a rapid growth environment for my personal development, my professional development. Uh, and such, and, uh, really created some lifelong bonds, uh, mm. during my time there, uh, and such with people that, that I will care about, uh, and think about for the rest of my entire
1: life. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, and so you, am I right in that you got out of regular, uh, duty and went into the national guard or you went full-time in the national guard or something like that? So, uh.
2: After I got back from from Iraq, I spent about eight months in uh, Fort Carson, Colorado, Mm. uh, because that's, that's where our unit got sent back to because they weren't gonna send us back to Korea. (laughs)
0: Um,
2: So they they resettled the unit in uh, Fort Carson, Colorado, another beautiful place. Uh, And then from there, uh, I separated, got my honorable discharge, have my DD 214 in hand and and was ready to go out and take on the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, uh, it's a challenging world out there. <laughs> um, I, um, I spent some time, um, in Southern Illinois. Um, that's where my, uh, my former, my ex-wife, uh, her family's from. Mm-hmm. And, um, that was the, that's the mother of my son, Gabe. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, uh, we settled there to try and figure out what was next. And anytime that you find yourself looking for a job, Uh, it's basically, uh, the, 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 resume shoes, you know, here, here, take it, take it, take it, take it, uh, and such any takers, you know, any bites, any nibbles, anything feel the line. All right. Any interest. Um, well, interest came in the form of a call from a, uh, Lieutenant, uh, in the national guard. Um, I'm sitting there just relaxing my mother-in-law's house. And, um, she goes to answer the phone. She goes, she goes, Hey James there's some lieutenant on the phone for you all of a sudden I'm thinking like oh my goodness am I getting called back what's going on I've been sitting around for the last month and a half getting fat and enjoying life what is going on here oh my goodness uh well I, I, I take the call hey how you doing James Brown um well it turns out uh she uh was the hiring manager for a job that I applied for hmm. all right Uh, and as she was talking through the job, she kept saying, Hey, you applied for this BI manager position, uh, and such And me, um, you know, being new to this whole process, I just kept saying, yes, fantastic. Outstanding. Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, and she said, well, we'd like you to come up and, um, uh, have a conversation with us, uh, and see if you're a good fit. And, uh, lo and behold, she gave me the address. We set up a time. And this was my real first interview post-Army. Wow! But I, I want to go back to the conversation because she kept saying, VI manager, VI manager. I didn't know what the heck that was. VI, like, I was like, I, I was racking my brain, like, VI, what is this? And I'm going through all the jobs that I applied for. I didn't know what the heck it was. And um, I, I get there uh, and um, uh, they, they hand me a copy of the posting. And my application, I'm like, oh, thank goodness. Oh, okay, VI, Visual Information Manager. And I'm like, okay, that uh, sounds interesting. I looked through it, okay, that looks like something I feel qualified for, uh, hence why I applied for it. It, it was in the telecom branch, uh, which is an area that that I had pretty good familiarity with due to my time in the army and such like that, communications and such. I ran lines you know, up and down, uh, you know, Texas, Korea and Iraq. Uh, so that was kind of my wheelhouse. Well, after a little bit of a conversation uh, with the hiring manager and then her uh, director, who was a full-bird colonel, mm. uh, they offered me the job. And um, uh, I packed everything up and, and moved to Springfield, Illinois, uh, home of the Joint Force Headquarters uh, for the Illinois uh, National Guard. Visual um, uh, information, as I come to find out, uh, was related to video teleconferencing and such media production, photography, um, and with, uh, a few, uh, dibbles and dabbles in, in, in AV purchasing and such like that. So mm. I got a lot of really good experience, um, kind of working on some of the ins and outs of federal service, mm. uh, cause it was a federal job, but because it was for the national guard, as a technician, it was dual status. So I went to work in uniform every day. But I got paid on a GS pay scale.
1: Nice. nice. Yes, yeah, it, was, it
2: was fantastic. I really, really enjoyed that job. Um, and um, the year that I spent in that um, uh, I look back and I value uh, because it, it got me out of my comfort zone. All right. And luckily, after about a year in that job, I got to transition
1: to my country. zone. when I went in the military, I had, uh, one of the major drivers for me was somebody that, uh, was my fraternity advisor who was full-time, uh, South Carolina national guard. And, uh, I talked to bill, uh, on a pretty regular basis and he, um, retired from doing that. And, um, so I have great appreciation for that. That's cool, man. That's cool. So what happened after that? How'd you get to South Carolina?
2: right after that little stints as the visual information manager,
3: mm-hmm.
1: uh,
2: I was kind of prepping and grooming for a trend or, or being groomed, if you will, for a transition over to a newly created billet within the organization as an information assurance manager. Because if you look at my background in the military and stuff, I, I dealt with ComSec, I dealt with networks, I dealt, I dealt with, uh, uh, the, uh, this fledgling, um, Uh, area of focus and expertise, information security, or as they call it at the time, information assurance uh, and such. So just in conversation, uh, we kind of gravitated towards me taking that role. Uh, Now, of course, I still had to apply for it because it was a new billet. Uh, You have to go through the competitive process uh, and such. And and fortunately, I came through uh, fully qualified um, and was selected um as this the state's information assurance manager that was a fantastic role talk about being at the forefront of information assurance information security which would both eventually become uh what we talk about as cybersecurity or what we reference as cybersecurity uh today it was program level it was system level uh and such so i had my hand in a little bit of
3: everything mm. um
2: Uh, I was a part of the uh, accreditation process for our systems there uh, in Illinois, uh, both classified and unclassified. Um, And uh, I was a part of the um, uh, initial foray into NIST compliance for the organization uh, and such. So when I say it was truly exciting, uh, it really was. It was a very exciting time to be in information security and information assurance because everybody was just trying to figure it out. Everybody was trying to figure out what they needed to do uh, to secure themselves uh, against this, this growing adversary mm. that we couldn't point to, all right, and identify in any meaningful way.
1: So uh, you left Illinois and came to South Carolina, is that correct?
2: I spent four years uh, in that information assurance manager role. And um, to be perfectly honest with you, um, I thought I was done with the military um when i got off of active duty and i was mm-hmm. just ready for a change mm-hmm. uh i didn't want to do uh, the weekends anymore uh, i wanted to you know kind of branch out and just you know be james um and such civilian james uh well little did i know uh that uh weekends in uniform uh would uh be a welcome break from weekends working for the private sector, but that, uh, that's a whole other tangent, which I'm sure you know very well. Through my time there, uh, I, I got a couple certifications. Uh, I got my Security Plus, because uh, DOD 8570 came out. Uh, everybody had to get certified. I got my CISSP um, during that time. Uh, and all of these things made me very marketable uh, and such. My time and experience in the military and working for uh, the national guard, which I consider pseudo military, but I'm more liken it to federal service because it was really targeted at that federal civilian type, um, uh, uh, uh work load capacity. Mm. Um, the, um, it, it wasn't as mission oriented as well. We just made sure stuff ran. Um, but when I made that transition, um, I wasn't really sure what to expect. I, I just put my resume together. I put it out there and I said, let's see what happens. Well, that was an exciting time to be on the market. Uh, because I, I think I, I posted my resume like Friday and then Monday I was getting calls I'm like, wait a second, information, insurance, information, security, SecPlus, plus, uh, uh, CISSP come on down. Yeah. Um, and, um, uh, I ended up uh, accepting a p- position uh, as a contractor at Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina right here, hmm. um, who um, uh, really kind of helped hone my skills. I-, I thought I knew what I was doing and I thought I was good at what I did uh, and such. Uh, but Blue Cross Blue Shield, working for them and their maturity of process and their very diverse portfolio mm. of technology-based services that they provide um, it was just it, 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 it created a sense of awe in me just looking at the complexity uh, of the systems that they built and supported um, uh, or that they deployed in support of, of such a diverse portfolio right. uh, and everything. I mean they, they have a really well-oiled machine there uh, and such. So again, another really great growth opportunity, uh, for me because it, it introduced me to the pace and dare I say, velocity, uh, that the private sector operates at.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. I have, um, friends who work at other blue crosses around the country, whether it's in North Carolina or Idaho or various other places, Florida. And, um, a lot of people don't know that Blue Cross of South Carolina is really a technology leader in the Blue Cross family across the country. And it's really one of the largest and most well-run IT organizations inside of all the Blues that, you know, there's probably 100 to 150,000 employees at the Blues across the country, James. So, you know, to be at the epicenter of uh You know that technology leadership is is probably a great asset to you
2: absolutely uh because working there really introduced me uh to the concept of technology as an enabler of the business
3: Mm -hmm. Uh,
2: because without that technology um constantly a fulfilling its mission Mm -hmm. uh b um seeking out opportunities to improve, improve, mature, and facilitate the optimization of those processes, uh, and such, uh, you're going to find yourself behind the power curve, almost immediately, uh, and such. So technology as an enabler of business is is probably my key takeaway Mm. from my time at Blue Cross Blue Shield, because it allowed me to see it firsthand, and, and then channel that into uh, the rest of my career.
1: And so, uh, my understanding is that, um, you were at Blue Cross for four and a half years, give or take, and then what was your next stop?
2: Uh, state government, uh, I, uh, uh you know, funny, uh, if, if we look at the, uh, progression there, uh, you know, active duty military federal service as a federal technician, civilian employee private sector uh, and then state governments uh, and such. I'm, I'm not sure what's next uh, and such in, in, in the, uh, the, the hierarchy, uh, if you will, of, uh, uh, of employment milestones and such, but I think I hit all the biggies <laughs> um, when I, uh, I made the transition over to uh, state government in uh, the latter part of 2015. Uh, and that was a uh, fantastic opportunity Uh, to be the uh, Chief Information Security Officer for uh, South Carolina Department of Health and Human Services or or SC Medicaid. Um, uh, I think that uh, that role, uh, the timing was almost perfect. Mm. Um, uh, That position was posted uh, and it aligned specifically almost to a T uh, with my career up to that point um, because I worked in the federal space. Uh, I dealt with the um, uh, the risk management framework uh, and the system authorization process mm-hmm. and such. Uh, SC Medicaid at the time was going through that or pursuing that. They were doing a massive overhaul of existing technology that has been in place, uh, you know, for for, for years uh, beyond mine mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and such. And um, uh, as they were. Pursuing that digital transformation, that uh, system transformation, um, uh, they needed to, in parallel to that, pursue system authorization um, and ensure that they were operating in a secure and compliant manner uh, with CMS requirements, which were FISMA-based. And, and that was my wheelhouse uh, mm-hmm. and such. That, that, that was my, uh, my comfort zone uh, in terms of you know body of work thus far. Uh, So it it was just a natural fit. And I was very fortunate um, uh, to um, come across that job, uh, put in, compete for it, uh, win it, and spend some time there, um, really doing some fantastic work, uh, not only for South Carolina, but with some really fantastic folks.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of great folks who uh, are in that orbit. Um, And after you left Medicaid, uh, you were there about two and a half years, give or take. And then um, you went to the to the overall state level for CISO. Correct?
2: Yes. Um, and that's, uh, that was a heck of a jump. I must say, <laughs> uh, you know, working for Medicaid, uh, you, you're kind of, from a state agency perspective, you're the, the 800 pound gorilla in the room. Mm-hmm. All right. You got billions of dollars. All right. Uh, in terms of, uh, of budget and spend, uh, because you run one of the largest programs, Uh, you know, in any state environment uh, and such. Medicaid is one of those uh, programs uh, that reaches and and supports uh, some of our most vulnerable populations um, and such. So transitioning from that over to uh, the state level, um, in my mind, uh, was going to be fairly straightforward because the, the size and complexity of that program, plus my work experience, um, I, I felt set me up um, for, uh, for success and being able to hit the ground running uh, at the state level, uh, but nothing really prepares you for that, <laughs> um, uh, simply because you have to have such a broader view mm-hmm. um, at the state level. You have to be able to extract yourself from the the individual program-specific needs and components of any particular uh, ask, request, uh, or um, um, uh, uh, challenge Mm -hmm. that you're facing, and then figure out how to create something that is meaningful and impactful across a broad spectrum of agency, uh, and or entity consumers of that particular service. There is no one mission at there other than, of course, the, the overarching you know, secure state systems and data and such. But making sense of that and ensuring that every action that you're taking, every word that you're saying, every document that you're publishing, pushing out and such creates a rising tide sim- scenario across that broad base uh, it's something that you never really get truly prepared for uh, until you're in it.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, that's a huge job. I mean, I don't think people really <clears throat> appreciate um, the role of uh, chief information security officers, but certainly at a portfolio of organizations like the state handles. I mean, you know, um, when I compare it to some of our commercial clients or some, uh, some of my commercial customers and try to relate that difference. And they, you know, it's like, you know, this billion dollar division, this $4 billion division. I mean, and, and you have, you know, not oversight, but influence on all of that. And it's just a, if you cobble it all together, it's a massive sized organization in the commercial space is the equivalent. Um, so it's a huge, that's a huge job. I mean, that's a really huge job.
2: Yeah. I, I would venture to say, uh, you know, that, um, uh, kind of analogy and overview of, uh, of decisions at that level or program components at that level within mm-hmm. the commercial space, uh, and such is very accurate because again, everyone's going to come to you asking for something, All mm-hmm. right? You're going to constantly be surrounded by those in need. All right. Um, those, um, looking to exert, uh, or impose Uh, their will or or go their own direction, and such like that. Everyone has to have a voice, you're the ear for that voice, and such. And then you have to extract yourself from that, collect yourself, all right, and then put forth something that's meaningful and impactful to all. Uh, You're never going to be in a situation uh, where everybody's happy and such. But hopefully, you can realize some benefit and deliver some benefits across the board and minimize. All right. Those unhappy folks out there.
1: <laughs> sure. Sure. Let, let me go back a little bit. I mean, you talked about your dad being in the military and then, uh, your service in the military, who are some, uh, influencers, uh, some mentors. Can you talk a little bit about some of those folks who kind of helped you along the way?
2: I'll start right at the beginning. Um, uh, my dad, you know, being, you know, military father, it, we didn't live in a, in a terribly strict environment. You know, people think military, and think very strict and rigid, uh, and such, I like to look back at my upbringing and think of it as very efficient. Mm. And, and such, everything that we did had to have a purpose. One of my dad's favorite things to say was, why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? You got nothing better to do with your time, kid, uh, and such. And uh, you know, that as a mantra kind of has has stuck with me, like, why am I doing this? All right, it, th- does, does this benefit me, my goal, uh, or those I'm seeking to, to help and support mm-hmm. uh, and such? Now, obviously that has matured uh, over the years, but it always goes back to the, why are you doing that? All right, so you gotta be intentional with your time, and you gotta be efficient with it, because you're not gonna be able to please everybody and such, so when you do something, do it with purpose, all right? And, I must say, I, I really did get that uh, from my dad. Uh,
3: mm-hmm.
2: Now, I, I told you I played uh, uh, high school sports. I played high school football mm-hmm. uh, and such. No Al Bundy stories here. No four touchdowns in a single game or anything <laughs> like that. Um, no Polk High uh, Wall of Fame. <laughs> but um, uh, I had a coach, uh, Coach Mike DePue, um, when I was in high school. Uh, he, he is somebody that uh, I, I think about uh, fairly often, uh, you know, being my, uh, my position coach um, and uh, really a mentor to me throughout my high school years um, uh, helped kind of shape me into a uh, better functioning, uh, more um, uh, compassionate and, con- and caring individual. Uh, because of the compassion and, and caring that he um, provided, not only me but you know my teammates uh, and such. Now, at the time, I didn't think that. At the time, I just thought I was getting yelled at. <laughs> All right. Um, but you look back and you're like, wow, that he really cared. He cared about me. He would pop in my class and you know make sure I was doing my work uh, and such. You know, if I get called to the office and I'm getting in trouble. He bust in there like, what the heck did he do? Uh, and, and such. And, uh, it, it's, it's folks like that that make an impact uh, on you that really shape the person that you become. Uh, and, and I appreciate that time and, and that care and effort that, that he put and poured into, uh, me. It's something that I try and do with folks that I work with and around and folks that work for me. Uh, I try and pour something back, uh, into them. Uh, and such, because, like I said, everybody needs uh, some care, concern, and some empathy um, in their life and in their particular situation. Now, as I kind of progress into my um, uh, professional life uh, and everything, I mean, there's l- just a laundry list of of leaders uh, throughout the army uh, that I can point to and say that was a fantastic leader. Mm-hmm. All right, um, but you know, g- given given the time frame. Uh, and, and such, I, I don't want to spend all night with you on this one. Although I could, uh, I, I'll, I'll reference one. Uh, I, I um, uh, he was a major, uh, he was my, my section OIC,
3: hmm.
2: um, and, um, major, uh, uh, Ivan Montanez, uh, he, uh, fast talking Puerto Rican guy, fantastic, uh, and, and such. Um, uh, he, uh, he had this saying uh, to me that really made me and those around me feel empowered. He always said the best decisions are made at the lowest level. Mm. He would look at me cause he was with me, uh, uh in Korea. Uh, he didn't go on deployment with us. He, uh, he actually got orders back, uh, before that, but, um, he, uh, he would always say that he, he would come in, uh, no matter what we were doing. All right. And he would, he would give the whole shop, how whole combo section, a briefing on what we had going on and such like that. And then he would go and ask us, Hey, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think we should do here? Stuff like that. And he would always reiterate the best decisions are made at the lowest level. Mm-hmm. all right. And then as that progressed in my career, I carried that mantra with me. All right. I would always ask my team members, Hey, what do you think? Because if I'm abstracted from the situation, I can't make a meaningful decision on it, all right? I've got to bring in that information, listen to my team members, listen to the folks that are working with, around and for me, all right? And take that into account and trust that their proximity to the issue at hand, the challenge that we are trying to overcome uh, is something that they have in hand and also trust that if they need something, I would be able to identify it and assist mm. and such, because you can never really take over someone's job uh, and such. You can't do someone's job for them. All right. You got to allow that process to unfold and you got to allow that growth to occur uh, and everything. And that statement just, it stays with me to this day. Mm. The best decisions are made at the lowest level um, because again, At certain levels, you just find yourself too abstracted from the issue at hand.
1: Yeah. Well, that's interesting that you uh, brought that up because I haven't interacted with you for several years and had folks uh, from our team work on your team. I can see that uh, the after effects of that learning from uh, Major Montanez in how you manage and lead people. I I get that. I totally connect with that. What do you think is the best leadership quality that you bring to uh, the folks or the teams that you are in charge of, James, what are you, what's kind of, do you think your, is your calling card?
2: Oh gosh, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you a story here if you don't mind. Sure. Um, when I, um, and I, I won't, I won't call out the individual's name, uh, and such, but when, when I left, uh, my last role, um, someone came in uh, to my office, had a conversation with me and, and basically said, well, what are we going to do now? Um, you know you you were you were you were like our lion wow um, i, I kind of i thought about that for a second um a lion he goes he goes yeah fearless um and uh, as i thought about that for a moment um i'm thinking okay how many rooms did i bust into how many times did I open my mouth when I probably shouldn't have? How many times uh, did I go against the grain uh, and such? Or, uh, on the positive side of that, how many times did I just make a meaningful impact and inspire this person to feel better? Now, that's the that's that's the textbook theory uh, of uh, of uh, him. Um, uh referring to me as as a lion uh and such but it was probably the latter (laughs) Uh, the former part me just busting the rooms and open my mouth when i shouldn't and such like that uh and everything because uh i i'm one of those folks that um i engage all right if there's if there's an issue at hand um i I don't want to send some weird sneaky email or anything like that Uh, i want to get up um walk down the hallway, knock on the door, sit down, have a conversation and figure it out. Um, If that's not possible, I want to pick up the phone, have a conversation and figure it out. Um, uh, A chaplain uh, in the military once said, um, email and text are information, all right? Um, Phone calls, um, video conferences, interactive chat are communication. Mm. All right. Spend your time communicating. Don't spend your time passing information. Um, And again, that's just uh, that's my style. Um, It is open lines of communication. Um, And if I had to align that with say a textbook um, leadership style, I I would say lead with courage. Um, because you, you, you have to be willing to get up and engage in that uncomfortable conversation, uh, and such, particularly if there's a disconnect.
1: Yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, you know, you bring a lot of energy to whatever room you're in, obviously. And, you know, that engagement, that, um, energy is, uh, palpable. So that's a good thing. Um, what do you, uh, what's your proudest professional accomplishment so far? James? I mean, you're a fairly young guy, but you've been able to do a lot of cool things, travel the globe. Uh, what's your what's your proudest professional accomplishment so far?
2: So looking back, um, you know, there's a lot of positions uh, and such um, uh, that I've uh, uh, ascended to. All of those are fantastic accomplishments uh, and such. But uh, really, I, I would just point back to my time uh, in the Army. Um, you know, prepping for deployment, prepping a team for deployment, taking that section, those young soldiers on deployment, which I mean, when I say young, I mean, I was in my mid 20s, they were in their early 20s. But you know how the army is, all okay. right? you, You're an old man at an early age. That's right. Uh, and so we're there, if you were there five minutes before the other guy, all right, you were senior. <laughs> all right. <laughs> That's true. But You know, honestly, as as a section sergeant and uh, for having uh, and having, uh, you know, troops um, um, in by section under my watch, under my care uh, and everything, it's just it's something that you're never really truly prepared for until you're actually there. Mm -hmm. Much like uh, you don't know what to expect. All you know is that this person, all right, this soul All right. To your left and to your right. All right. They need you. They, they depend on you. All right. Um, and, and, and the same could be said about you, you need them, Mm. you depend on them. Um, and it's up to you guys to figure out how to get through this thing together. Uh, and the fact that, um, we got the deployment order from Korea, which nobody was expecting. All right. We spent our time, uh, preparing, uh, for the deployment. Um, I actually went ahead. I, I was on what was called an, an advanced TAC team. So I was in country about 21 days before the rest of my section, uh, and everything kind of setting up comms and, uh, and helping, uh, uh establish, um, you know, operations and command and control mm-hmm. in country while the rest of the unit was kind of deploying in, um, in or filtering in, uh, if you will, cause it was, a, whew, it, it was an undertaking, I must say, but, um, just working through that at that age. All right. And, um, feeling, uh, the, the, uh, camaraderie growing as a team, uh, together, uh, and then ultimately coming back as a team, um, it's my, my proudest moment, my uh, it's the biggest accomplishment of my life. Alright, I, I, I can't say enough about how much I love those guys. Um, uh, proudest co- accomplishment of my professional life. Yeah, uh, gotcha.
3: It's,
2: it's, it's, I hear that. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it really is something special, you know, uh, military service being forward deployed. Uh, and in those situations that you constantly trained for, mm-hmm. uh, and everything. Um it's um it's really something special it, it, it's something that uh, again will stay with me me forever because i love those guys i love what we did uh and such and i love that we accomplished it together
1: yeah yeah no i i get that i uh <clears throat> had the benefit of being in uh, desert storm early on and uh, you can't for me i can't describe it to somebody who hasn't been deployed is, you know, you can tell them, but they don't get it because they haven't experienced it. And then um, I think that's where the camaraderie comes, regardless of branch of services. Just having that experience is just unlike anything else you'll ever experience the rest of your life. Um, so I, I have great respect and appreciation for that. As we wrap up, let me um, transition yet again. What are you, you know, you're in cybersecurity, you're uh, nationally recognized um authority on cyber. You've done a lot of cool things in cyber. Uh, you've been on the forefront, as you talked about early on in the what I call the cyber community. Um, wh- what do you think is going to happen in the next five, 10 years as you look into your crystal ball, James? Oh, yeah. What does technology look like? What does cyber look like? What are your thoughts about the future?
2: I, I, I would venture to say um, technology is going to do what technology does. It's going to continue to grow. It's going to rapidly expand and such. Uh, Citizens, um, people, all right, uh, are going to continue to demand, uh, you know, faster, easier access uh, to the information uh, that they feel uh, is theirs, all right, and that um, uh, they feel improves their lives. Uh, And it's up to us. Uh, the security professionals, the technology professionals, uh, to ensure that it's there, it's ready, it's accessible, uh, and ultimately it's secure, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So I I would venture to say over the next five years, uh, I would see, uh, I anticipate uh, a, a shift in focus from the technology front to the partnership front. How do professionals, all right, that are in this field, all right, get out of their comfort zone, all right, expand their bubble, reach out, all right, and have a conversation with uh, the other cybersecurity professional, the other technology professional, the application developer and such, and build uh, lines of communication and such so that we can better collaborate, all right, on the delivery or the development uh, and delivery of the services that our constituents and I'm not saying constituents in the um, public sector uh, sense, I'm saying constituents in any consumer of a service that a technology supports. Um, there's expectation there and such, um, and we're not going to achieve it in, in what I like to refer to as silos of excellence. Uh, we've got to break down some of these walls. Uh, we've got to go knock on some doors we got to sit down and have some conversations and figure out how we can better partner towards the delivery of secure, reliable services to our constituents.
1: That's really insightful. I think it makes me think of all the research that was done after the 9-11 attacks and how all these um, agencies had different information and they never communicated because they were in silos of excellence. And um, all of that could have been prevented and avoided had uh, there been uh, cross-pollination of data and information and had some conversations, uh, you know, somebody opening up the door and being a lion and saying, hey, man, let's let's have this conversation, you know. Um, So I get that and I appreciate that.
2: Well, Barry, I'm going to give you a nod here because I can't tell you how many times over the last couple of years I've been in a conversation with you. And then you extract from that conversation, somebody that I should talk to <laughs> and then you set it up. So thank you, Barry.
1: <laughs> uh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Um, last couple of questions I wanted to ask you, what, um, what, where are you learning from these days? James, um, are you a podcast guide? Do you read books, do you listen to audible books?
2: Uh, I, I would venture to say you got to be a lifelong learner Mm -hmm. uh, within cybersecurity.
3: Mm -hmm. Um,
2: So, uh, you know, the the news feeds, I I, I follow um, CISA uh, daily, Uh, I I always track updates uh, to the latest exploitable vulnerabilities and such like that. Uh, There, they have prominence, if you will, in in a lot of the conversations I have with folks uh, around uh, security processes and program maturity. Because managing your assets, your systems, uh, and the vulnerabilities that exist on your systems and software uh, is really foundational to establishing good cyber hygiene and maintaining it. Um, So I I, I follow CISA almost uh, daily. It it is my um, uh, my daily dose of what's happening uh, in cyber. So. and I, I don't say that like I reach out and do it. No, I, I, I get the email feed <laughs> uh, and such. Um, I follow technology trends uh, uh, with regards to uh, what's new. Everybody right now seems to be trying to reinvent the wheel um, uh, and uh, create repackage uh, something that uh, a lot of folks already have, mm-hmm. uh, which again is why I mentioned the whole partnership piece. Um, Because the only way that you're really going to have a good understanding uh, of what you have, uh, and how you should be using it, uh, is by, uh, you know, extracting yourself from potential tunnel vision, and bringing in that extra opinion, uh, that outside uh, opinion, uh, or other um, uh, uh, thought leader, all right, within this space, um, to, to evaluate how you're doing things. Uh, and help you identify ways that you could be uh, improving. Because I I would venture to say a lot of the folks that I talk to, um, they have all of the technology in place. They have the capabilities there uh, and such. Um, They don't need to make huge investments on that front. Where they need to make investments is on the process front and on the partnership front. Mm. How do we bring in folks that can help optimize these things that are already in place or help redirect all right, um, uh, investments as well as um, uh, uh, process improvements uh, that may need to be made uh, on things that, again, a lot of folks already have. There are so many folks that have stuff just sitting on the shelf. This piece of technology they bought that, hey, that thing that we bought five years ago, are we using it? Uh, and such. Uh, well, yeah, are we using it right? These are simple questions that you can ask, um, and you can find some really good uh, opportunities for improvement.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, James Brown, we're going to wrap it with that. I appreciate your investment of time and insight um, and just experience into our listeners this afternoon. And uh, just thank you for uh, both your service uh, in the military, as well as in all the other places that you've served. And um, I just I, I love the analogy of um, being a lion. I love the analogy, the, the comment of um, Major Martinez. The best decisions are made at the lowest level. I love that. And uh, I just so want to say thank you for everything that you've done for us. And uh, thanks for spending some time here with us on the Tech Leaders Talk podcast.
2: Absolutely, Barry. i glad to be back anytime. any time. Uh, and such, or or just glad to have a conversation with you any day of the week, sir. Yeah, man. All right. I love you. I appreciate you. You do a lot for us. You do a lot for the tech community Uh, and such. You do a lot for South Carolina.
0: Thanks, bud. I appreciate that. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us today on the Tech Leaders Talk podcast. Until next time, tech leaders, keep talking.